Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. Today, we're going to conclude our series on spiritual warfare, which we've been doing um, really kind of over the summer. It was an impromptu series, as you remember, where I kind of interrupted what we were doing in our study of 1 Thessalonians. And we've been uh, looking at this for a number of months. And I'm going to conclude today by talking about enduring to victory. And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. And I'm going to do things a little different today, just so you know. The applying the word is really going to be coming to the Lord's table. So we'll kind of talk a little bit about application as we move along. So for those of you who are more used to our normal way of teaching, we're not really going to do an application section at the end. It'll kind of be worked in as we go along. Um, And I just want to really encourage us today regarding endurance and uh, us looking to uh, Jesus. So we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. As always, the text will be up here on the screen. I'm going to be using the New International Version this morning, but I will talk about the way they translated a couple of things. Um, And you can also follow along on on the handouts we have. So hear now the word of the sovereign God. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In 1861, uh, the South had attacked Fort Sumter and everyone knew that the Civil War was coming. And over the coming months, people began to prepare for war. The Union had actually begun to raise troops But they were so confident that the war was going to be very, very short that the term of enlistment was 90 days. And in July, everyone knew that a battle was going to be happening out near uh, Manassas. And sure enough, on July the 21st, 1861, everyone knew that some uh, Confederate troops and Union troops were joining together. And again, people on both sides were so confident that a number of people went from Washington, D.C., and took picnic baskets to sit and watch the Union troops crush the Rebs and end the war in one swift moment. If you know your history, however, you will understand that that's actually not what happened. In fact, the Union troops were overwhelmed and crushed and routed and began running through the picnickers, which included a number of senators, and shouting to flee. Some of the senators, in fact, got up and tried to stop the Union troops from fleeing, and some of the senators were actually captured by the South. Now, the interesting thing was, that can make it sound like just the Union thought the war was going to be short, but the South thought the same thing. And in fact, at that moment, became extremely confident that this had shown, in fact, they were going to whip the Yankees, and this was going to be a quick war. Four years and 620,000 dead Americans later, 
everyone realized that it was not a quick war. And in fact, that's because wars are almost never quick and easy. We always convince ourselves that they're going to be so, but they are not. And the reason for that, as I've been stating throughout this series, remember the reality, it's not that the reality is human war, and the scripture speaks of spiritual warfare saying, we're going to kind of build a metaphor here. It's the exact opposite. The real war is spiritual war. And human warfare is only a shadow of that. And one of the reasons that human warfares are usually so long and protracted and difficult and require such endurance is because spiritual warfare has been going on since before human beings were even created. And we are swept up and part of that conflict. And so that leads us to a call for endurance. Spiritual warfare requires endurance. It calls for endurance. Notice in our text in Hebrews chapter 12, the, uh, and I'm going to put up verses 1 and 3, which are part of our text, and also verse 7. We, we could have kept going in our text. It obviously is all together. But notice here that we're told that we need to run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us in verse 1. In verse 3, we're told to consider him, speaking of Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men. In verse 7, we're told to endure hardship as discipline. And the word perseverance, the word endurance, and then the word endure in verse 7 are all actually from the same Greek root. So even though the NIV translated it as perseverance there, you could have said, let us run with endurance the race that is marked out for us because it's the same word. So three times we are told in this passage that what we need is endurance. And furthermore, notice then in, in verse 3 that it says so that we don't grow weary and lose heart. And obviously the idea of not growing weary is just kind of the negative way of saying, you, you know, you're going to have to endure. The opposite of enduring is growing weary and giving up. And so the writer to Hebrews here, who's been writing to a church that has been experiencing severe persecution and real spiritual warfare, the author, as he's drawing his whole letter to a close, is bringing up this key and saying, here's what you're going to need to do. You're going to have to endure. You have to endure until victory is won. And this is not simply a message of, of Hebrews. We can see it in other places. One key place is in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 13 and 14, we're reading about the beast and the false prophet and the war they're making on God's people, and twice the same phrase is used. In Revelation 13.10 and in Revelation 14.12, we read this phrase that this calls for patient endurance. In chapter 13, it says, and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Um, in chapter 14, it just says it calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. So again, in the context, they're in spiritual warfare, but what John, who's seeing this vision of the life of the church and the life of the people of God in our Babylon, in the context of the spiritual warfare that rages, is he says, if you're going to remain faithful in this spiritual warfare, it calls for patient endurance. That two words there, as the NIV is translated, is the same word that's used for endurance back in Hebrews chapter 12. It's the same word. It's just hupamane, and it means the, the word is hard to translate sometimes. Sometimes it is called patience, and a lot of times it's called endurance, and that's why here they call it patient endurance. 
But it's the same word as back in Hebrews chapter 12. We have to run with perseverance, or we have to fight a battle with perseverance, with endurance. We have to patiently endure and continue on in our battle. And this is because the Christian life requires endurance. But victory is assured. See, in Hebrews 12, they're using the metaphor of a race rather than a battle. But we need to understand the Christian life, if you're going to compare it to a race, is a marathon or an ultra-marathon. It is not a sprint. And as somebody who's been walking with Christ for almost 40 years at this point, I'm not impressed when people you know, quickly start out and sprint because you run into the same thing. If you actually run, I used to do a lot of endurance runs, and you would get people who sprint out really, really quickly. I remember the first half marathon I ran. I had run a couple of marathons before that, and I did a half marathon, and some people sprinted out, and then half a mile in, you would find them walking in a 13-mile run. And I would just laugh at them and say, somebody clearly didn't understand the nature of what we were doing here. You took off and you ran as fast as you could for like three minutes in a race that's probably going to end up taking you two and a half hours to do. Not all that impressive when you do that. The Christian life is a marathon. And like the American Civil War, this is a protracted battle. And it requires great endurance. And here's the, the incredible thing. I studied military history at the Naval Academy and did several courses on the Civil War. Here's the, the true thing that needs to be understood. There was no question who was going to win the Civil War. Unless you think I'm just being mean to the South. Remember, I grew up down South. Okay, I was the son of I learned this is Manassas, not Bull Run. There was no way the South was going to win that war. The North had way more men. The North had way more railroads, way more industry, way more weapons, way more shipping, way more of everything that counts when it comes to war. There was no way the South was going to win. And therefore, what the Southern generals did, the one thing the South had was they had much better generals, and what the generals set about doing was just trying to hang on long enough that the North would give because they knew there was no way to actually win the war. But if they could just get the North to give up, to stop enduring, they thought they could win. And the reality was the only way the North doesn't win is if they give up. And the same thing is true in our spiritual warfare. Victory is assured for you and for me. And there's only one way you or I lose, and that's that we give up, that we don't endure that we don't continue on. And so, spiritual warfare calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints. Now, where do we get endurance from then? Well, the writer to Hebrews tells us, he gives us three sources of endurance, and really the first two just lead to the third. The third is the ultimate source of endurance, and that's where we're going to conclude with today. But there are three sources he gives us. First, he tells us in verse 1, that endurance comes from God's faithful witnesses. As we pay attention to God's faithful witnesses, it builds endurance in us. Notice he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now that therefore is there because it's pointing back to Hebrews 11, 
which is probably the most famous chapter in the book of Hebrews. That's what people refer to as faith's hall of fame. All of the great heroes of the faith in the Old Testament that it recounts and it tells us how they have lived their lives. The writer is saying, okay, so now I've gone through that whole list. Here's what it's about. You need to consider them. You need to remember you are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Now, very often how people do this, because it's kind of picturing a race, we have listened to that and said, well, what they're witnesses of is they're witnesses of us. They're watching us. But that's really only secondarily the point here. The Greek word is martyros, from which we drew our word martyr, which is the normal word for witness in the New Testament. And it means one who bears testimony to something else, like we have a witness in court. Well, what they're bearing witness to is not about you and me and our faithfulness. They're bearing witness to the faithfulness of God. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 is about. He says, look, you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, all of whom are reminding you that God was faithful, all of whom are telling you that they just endured, and because they endured, they won. Because they persevered, because they did not give up, their victory was assured, and they are witnesses to remind you God is faithful across all times, all cultures, all ages, all situations. One thing you can count will never change, and that is that God will be faithful to his covenant promises. What he has said, he will do. And they displayed, therefore, enduring faith until victory. That's the whole point of Hebrews chapter 11. It's pointing out the faithfulness of God and that those who were commended were those who continued on even when things looked bleak, even when things seemed to be turned against them, they held on to the promises of God. And by doing so, victory came through. And so primarily, it's not about them watching us and cheering us on. There's a, maybe a secondary metaphor there, but the primary thing is they're telling us, remember God is faithful. We've already finished our race, and he was faithful to us, he will be faithful to you. And so the, the writer says, hold on and do that. So you and I endure as we consider God's faithfulness to his people down through the ages and all the way into the present day. It reminds us, it keeps us, how do you know God will be faithful to you tomorrow? Because he has always been faithful to his people down through the ages, and God does not change. He who was faithful to them yesterday will be faithful to you today and tomorrow. And so we hang in with that. Now, if you feel your endurance failing, and, and if you say, well, my endurance never fails, you're a liar. Okay? Our endurance fails. We struggle. We get in there and it's hard. And when we feel our endurance failing, what this is reminding us is we need to consider those faithful witnesses. And let me just give a couple of tips on how to do that. This is one of the reasons we have large sections of the scripture that are history. Because as you read the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, as you read the stories of Moses and David and Isaiah and Jeremiah, and you see God's faithfulness, to his people in good times and bad, in their obedience and even when they have failed him, that God is faithful. It encourages you and I and it says, keep on running just like they kept on running. And so when you're reading them, you're not reading them so much to, so you can learn how to be like David because there's a lot of times you don't want to be like David. 
or Moses or Abraham. You're reading and looking at them to see that God is faithful to them in the same way that he's faithful to you. Another way that we do this is, I encourage you to read biographies of saints down through the ages. This year I've been reading a lot of biographies for the 500th, uh, and a, you know, 500th uh, anniversary of the Reformation. And so I've read a couple of Luther biographies and a couple of Tyndale biographies, and I just finished my second biography of John Calvin. And I've got to tell you, it's been immensely encouraging to me because I realize the same struggles I have, they had. Luther and Calvin didn't walk around on clouds untouched by controversy and difficulty and struggle and fear and doubt. They had the same struggles you and I have but they persevered, they endured, because they knew God was faithful. And it's been strangely encouraging to me to realize that my worst problems, they would have gladly traded for as one of their better days. Their lives were not easy. And it seemed many, many times that the Reformation was going to die. But God was faithful as he was faithful to them he's faithful to us third way real quickly is fellowshipping with others because i don't just need to hear how god was faithful in the days of scripture or even faithful down through the ages i'm encouraged by hearing that god's faithful to you and you are encouraged by uh, hearing how god is being faithful to me we encourage and stir one another up we've seen throughout this series is there anything such as a lone spiritual warrior those guys are dead. They don't last in battle. You can't survive that way. We are in fellowship. And that is not only fellowship with the church down through the ages, it's fellowship with the church today. And so we need to be with one another. We need to fellowship and we need to encourage one another. You will have days when your endurance is failing. And I need to be there for you in that moment. And I will have days when my endurance is failing. And I need you to be there for me in that moment, to encourage me to keep running because the only thing that can prevent victory is stopping. Second source of endurance is endurance comes from throwing off hindrances. Hebrews 12 continues, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and so he says look the picture is it's like a guy running a race but he's got a robe on that keeps tangling around his feet and he keeps tripping and falling and so they're saying you, you can't do that you can't have things that are tangling you up when you are trying to run this race or fight this war and so he's telling us you have to cast aside whatever weighs you down so that you can effectively run with endurance and notice here the, the language is broad. What sin is he talking about? There is, it's any sin. It may be very different for you and I. The point is not even, notice it's not even throw off these sins. It's the sin. It's, it's sin in general. It's the principle of sin within us that we are putting off that and putting on the, the spirit and the new nature that Greg was reading to us from Romans chapter 8. It's broad and it's broad for a reason because it applies to every one of us. Whatever race you are running, he's saying, don't be putting extra weight on. I remember the first year I went up to run 
the Baltimore Marathon. And it was a very discouraging thing that I got there. And I remember there was one guy dressed up. He had on like this green suit and bat wings on his back. And another guy was running dressed as a diver, right? And I was like, you know, the first time we go around a corner, there's nobody looking. I'm going to punch you and pummel you and end your race because this is irritating. We're trying to run 26 miles. One guy juggled. And the sad part is he beat me. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. That is not funny. You should not be laughing at that. That is really sad. I had trained for months, and this guy juggled and beat me. Okay? But I want to tell you, the Kenyans up front, because it's always Kenyans up front in Baltimore, right? There used to be a shirt that said, you know, training is the difference between finishing with the Kenyans and finishing with some guy named Ken. And that... I was back with Ken, but I was at least getting to the halfway point before the Kenyans had finished. None of the Kenyans were juggling. None of the Kenyans were wearing silly costumes because they were out to win a race. And if you're out to run with the champions, you don't do silly stuff. You can't afford to have things that are hindering you. They are worried about cutting every possible ounce off their shoes because an ounce can mean the difference between being a champion and being an also-ran. And so the writer here says, look, you're in this for the distance. You're in an ultra-marathon. And when you're running 100 miles, you are not carrying silly stuff on your back because you can't win when you do so. So in our lifelong spiritual warfare, we cannot afford the hindrance of sin weighing us down and tripping us up. So how do, we, how do we apply that? If you feel your endurance failing and struggling, one of the things God says is, go back and check, is there a sin weighing you down? Is sin tripping you up? So we ask God to reveal to us, is there anything in me, O Lord? This is where David prayed, you know, and says, Lord, reveal anything in me that, that, would, that would be pulling me away from you, that would be weighing me down. And so we ask God to reveal to us, and we are then serious about repenting of our sin. One of the key things in spiritual warfare is it tells us draw near to God and resist the enemy. And it's called, God has it there because as I've been going through spiritual warfare over the last year, I've gotten more and more serious about sin in my life. Now let me be very clear. This is not because, well, I gotta get this sin out because I'm gonna stand in front of God on judgment day and if I got any sin there, I'm gonna be cast into hell. The gospel is clear. I am saved by the righteousness of Christ, an alien righteousness that is given to me. And my standing before God is not based on my personal obedience and holiness. That's not what we're talking about here. But what we are saying is sin weighs us down. Sin entangles. Sin entraps. And what it does is it creates havoc in our lives and it removes our joy. We're not only supposed to run this race, we're supposed to run the race with joy. One of the reasons I swapped from running marathons to half marathons, I was, when I ran the second marathon, I ran it with a college student and I was a much older dude. She was the age of my children. And somebody took a picture of us at the 13 mile point and we were having a party. I was like hollering and running and doing this. And then at the 26 mile point, I looked like they should just go ahead and put me in the ground and bury me. And so I decided at that point, I want to stop at 13 miles. It's a lot more fun at that point 
Then continuing on. It's, it's a pretty wimpy thing I'm saying here, isn't it? But see, the, and it was the difference. When I finished at 13 miles, I always felt phenomenal. Well, friends, you and I are called to finish the race with joy. And the difference for us is not the length in the race, it's what's weighing us down. And you don't want sin weighing you down, and nor do I. It's not worth it, whatever it is. It's not worth losing the joy. We are to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's our call. That's what it is. And sin gets in the way of that. And so the writer says, throw that off, man. You don't want that. You don't need that. And that leads to the third area, which is endurance comes from Jesus. And this is no surprise. The other two are about Jesus. We, sin is us trying to find enjoyment in something other than Jesus. And the other witnesses are only about there telling us that you're not going to find it in anything else. You're going to find it in Jesus. And so notice the writer tells us in verses 2 and 3, let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, notice all these notes, on the line, it's for the joy that's set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, he endured to victory. And he sat down. And in verse 3, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And so the writer says, to endure, you fix your eyes on Jesus. Because coming out of Hebrews 11, what the writer is saying is, look, as good as it is to look to Abraham, as good as it is to consider Isaac and Jacob, as good as it is to listen to Moses tell you how faithful God is, I got the ultimate witness to the faithfulness of God. It's Jesus. Nobody endured like Jesus endured. Nobody came into victory like Jesus came into victory. So fix your eyes on him. As good as everyone and everything else is, what you really need for endurance is Jesus. And that's why all I or can do for you or you can do for me or we can get from the saints of old is them pointing us to him. Because that's what we need and what we need to see. So it's good to consider other believers, but we need to have a gaze that is fixed on Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate testimony. And if we keep our eyes fixed on him, meditating on his person and his example, we will not grow weary and we will not lose heart. Let me say that again and please hear it. If we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, meditating on his person and his example, we will not grow weary and lose heart. And so... If I'm growing weary, if I'm losing heart, or let me rephrase that, when I'm growing weary, when I'm losing heart, because if you've been, I've been doing this for 40 years, this is a long race, 40 years, and there's many more to go. If we had Donnie here, you know, we said in the council meeting a while back that Don Sr., I think, was an eyewitness to the Reformation. He's been... <laughs> He's been doing this for a long time. Isn't it terrible I'm making fun of this guy? He's in his 80s and he's not even here to defend himself. They could tell you it's an even longer race. We've got folks here, you can talk with Tommy and Nellie. But what they can tell you is God has been faithful. And friends, when you go, because at times you're tired. At times you just want to stop. 
But you know what that's usually a sign of? My eyes have wandered from Jesus to something else. Something else has become my goal. Something else is what's captivating my heart. And that is true for all of us. It's some person we want, some thing we think we've got to have, some aspect of our own reputation, or if I could just have. We all do that. But friends, when we do that, I start finding my endurance fading. And that's usually a sign that I'm not having my eyes fixed on Jesus. And so the writer says, fix your gaze on him. Look on him. That's where endurance comes. So we're going to apply the word, but how we're going to do it is just coming to the table. And so I want to encourage you as we consider this table and we look here, our greatest need is to draw near to Jesus. He's the greatest witness you will ever find of the faithfulness of God. The writer says, he continues on, says, look, as you're doing this, do you realize that in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood? You're alive. You haven't been put to death for your faith. Many of the people I told you about were, but the ultimate witness of that is Jesus. And whatever you're facing or I'm facing, and I'm not saying this to belittle what you're going through. It, I've had a, it's, there's been a lot of rough things this year. It's not been my favorite year. But I want to tell you something. I've not been on the cross bearing the righteous wrath of God for the sins of the world. Nothing close to that. And he endured and came to victory. What he bore is so much more than you and I could ever imagine, and we couldn't possibly have done it. But he did. And so we are called, and what I want us to do today as we come to the table is to fix our gaze on him. He is the source of your strength. He is the source of your endurance and mind. We do not need what a lot of Christians in America want today. What we're asking churches to give us is keys to success. Can you give me a formula I'll disappoint you and tell you no. I don't have one. What I've got is Jesus. Because you don't need a key to success. You need Jesus. You don't need a formula. You need Jesus. And that's what I need. That, that's it. There, there is nothing else. And so we're going to come to the table and we're going to look to him. At this table, our hearts feed upon Christ. And so today, if you're here and you say, I I'm weary, I I'm miles into this race, but I, I just can't keep another foot going in front of another, I want you to come here and I want you to feed upon Christ. If you are here today and you're discouraged and you're losing heart, I want you to come to the table and feed upon Christ. Let him be your encouragement. Let him, by the Holy Spirit, speak to you and say, it will be okay. For the joy that was set before me, I endured the cross. I scorned its shame. And I'm sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Let him encourage you. At this table today, fix your eyes on Jesus. So if you got sin, confess it. But I want you to do that and move and cast your gaze on him. 
okay? What this is about is not about me introspectively looking inside. It's about me looking to Jesus. That's what it's about. And know that he will forgive your sin. So let's fix our gaze on him and receive fresh strength to endure to victory until he comes. If you are a guest, you are welcome to participate with us if you are a believer. And that means you realize the gospel is your only hope. It's not about your righteousness, it's about his. Jesus lived and died and was raised for you and your salvation. If you believe that, please participate with us. If you don't, you should let it pass because this is a profession that that is what you believe. So, Brothers and sisters, let us come to the table. For what I received from the Lord Jesus, I also pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, for how you have kept your people through the ages by being faithful to your promises. And Lord, as we come to this table this morning, we thank you that your faithfulness endured even at the cost of your son. Lord, I ask that you would meet us here by your Holy Spirit through this sacrament in Jesus' name. Amen. As you get the elements, hold on to them. We will take them together in just a moment. I encourage you, again, be honest. Fasten your eyes on Jesus and tell him where you need him to meet you. Lord, as we consider this race that we run, Lord, we admit that we have oftentimes been foolish and assumed that the battle would be a picnic. But Lord, life has a way of divesting us of that notion. Father, we've oftentimes assumed that because we've never realized how deep our sin goes. But Lord Jesus, as we come to this table this morning, we recognize that you understood how deep it went. And therefore, you took flesh, and you came, and you lived, and you died for us and for our salvation. You were broken that we might be restored. You bore the curse that we might be blessed. And so, Lord, as we take this bread this morning, we confess our sin, but we look away from ourselves. Lord, we do not give in to the deceit of our age that tells us we have an external problem and the solution is found within. Lord, we realize our problem is within, and the solution is found outside of ourselves in Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God. So, Lord Jesus, we take this bread that represents your body. We confess that you are our only hope of salvation, our only source of strength.
And we say thanks be to God for the body of Jesus Christ. Take and eat. And Lord, we take the cup that represents the new covenant in your blood, which was poured out so that our sins might be forgiven. Lord, we thank you that this blood sealed the covenant, the new covenant, which is built on better promises than the old, and a covenant that is sure and unshakable, a covenant that will be kept, not because we are faithful, but because you are faithful. Not because we have been obedient, but because Jesus was obedient in our place. And so, Lord, we thank you that by the blood of Christ, all of our sins have been washed away, and that by his righteousness given to us, we now stand before you pure and clean and counted righteous and holy. And Lord, we thank you because of that, because the blood of Christ is our hope, and it will never pass or never fade away. Lord, we thank you that it is sufficient to keep us until we stand before you. Lord, our hope is not in our sweat, but in the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us. Lord, as we sang this morning, oh, our sins, they are many. But Lord, through the blood of Christ, your mercy is more. Thanks be to God for the blood of Christ. Take and drink. Holy Spirit of the living God, I pray that you administer and speak to each of your people. Lord, each of us are running our own race. Each of us are fighting our own battle. And each of us are at a different place. But Lord, what we all need is we need endurance that comes from you. But Spirit of the living God, as we heard this morning when you prompted Greg to read in Romans chapter 8, you are the one who will keep and sustain us. You are the one who will empower us to overcome in the battle against sin. You are the one who John told us, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So Spirit of the living God, I pray for you to fall fresh on your people. I pray where there is discouragement, you would be the spirit of hope. I pray where there is weakness, you would be the spirit of strength. I pray where there is confusion, you would be the spirit of understanding. And where there is deception and lie, I pray you would be the spirit of truth. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Fill us that we might serve you in joy. I ask you to do this because of the work of Jesus Christ to the glory of our God and Father. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll conclude with the benediction. Now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Run the race with endurance this week through Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.